Hi, I'm Grant Wall, and welcome to the Planet Football Podcast, where I go in-depth with the most intriguing people in the world of soccer. In this episode, I'm joined by Bill Simmons, the sports guy, to talk about his experience in the world of Southern California youth soccer over the last five years with his daughter's team, and about his thoughts on pro soccer as an LAFC season ticket holder and a fan of the U.S. national teams. Just a quick reminder, it's a huge help if you subscribe to, rate, and review the podcast. I'm serious. It helps people find us. Onward! Our guest today is Bill Simmons. He's the founder and CEO of The Ringer. He works for HBO. He's the host of the Bill Simmons podcast, and he's quite possibly the most popular sports media figure in America. Bill, thanks for coming on the show. Wow. What an intro. Thank you. Appreciate you like that? it. <laughs> good to be here. Yeah, um, it was good. I really appreciate you coming on the show. I emailed you recently about potentially coming on the podcast after your recent Instagram post about your daughter's youth soccer team. Uh, it sounds like you've been heavily involved in youth soccer in Southern California the last five and a half years or so, and I wanted to get your sense of what the experience has been like. Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts. My daughter has been, uh, you know, like a lot of kids, started playing soccer when she was four, and she was good, and basically club soccer maybe, I guess, since age six or age seven, I can't even remember, and kind of dove into the whole Southern California youth soccer scene as I was also really getting into soccer. You know, I really started getting into soccer, I would say, end of last decade, just kind of watching it, like a lot of people, where the HD really helped and the TVs and mm -hmm. um, just the general awareness. And then at Grantland, we had a lot of soccer, and we have a lot of soccer here. So I, I know what's going on. I'm not a gigantic soccer fan, but I like watching the Champions League. I loved watching Barcelona these last few years because um, – that's the system that my daughter's team plays. So I actually kind of okay. understand it. it. Reminds me of basketball. So I get soccer, um, but I'm also not like crazy like you or Rob Stone or people like that. <laughs> um, the the thing that amazed me pretty much from the get go, once it started to get serious, because it goes, you know, the seven seven v seven for a while, and mm -hmm. then it quickly jumps to eleven versus eleven, which is really crazy i think she was so that was like 2015 she had just turned 10 mm -hmm. and we went from playing 7v7 with goalies to a field that was twice the size mm -hmm. uh 11v11 it was really dramatic and it took you know six seven months to even figure out the spacing of the field and all that stuff now they've fixed that they've made it so 9v9 is the next step which i think was smart hmm. um but as i'm watching the soccer get more complicated I am seeing all the issues with U.S. soccer. Um, <laughs> it becomes a microcosm. It's all there. The, the The landscape is laid out. All the problems we have now in the adult at the adult side level is all there in the youth soccer. The way they play and it's the styles and the fact that I always call it kickball, mm -hmm. um, where you know they basically put the fastest kid at the top. Usually, it's the striker. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people, some people will put two prongs at the top and do it that way. And then basically you're just trying to win the game one, nothing or two, nothing. And you're trying to get a counter attack where you boot the ball down and you get a bounce or something good happens. And all of a sudden now you have your fastest kid one V one. Does that sound familiar to you? Does that sound, <laughs> Not a lot of does that sound like the terrible soccer we've watched? <laughs> um, the, 
women's soccer, I think, was was weirdly even a little more sophisticated than the men's soccer, but uh, with on the U.S. level. But um, and I'm watching this, and I'm just going, it all makes sense. Everybody's just trying to win, um, and they're trying to win with this style, which isn't making the kids really that much better. So that's one problem. Mm. And then the other problem, as we started to, um, and this is what you saw on my Instagram post, especially with girls, the the you know everything is geared toward boy soccer. Mm-hmm. especially in Southern California, these big clubs where uh, they just care about the boys' teams more. The boys' teams get better practice times, better fields, uh, better everything, better resources, better coaching. And it's kind of shocking. And mm-hmm. I, I never I never considered myself a sports feminist. Um, and it was, it was weird to go through this, you know, this situation where you're like, wow, my daughter's getting the short end of the stick because she's female. Wow, and um, we 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 formed a club team with somebody. This guy's name is Jacob Tadella, who's just this brilliant coach that we were just fortunate enough to stumble into. And she was on the first team that he that he ever really coached. That was a girls' team. I think she was eight. It was her, uh, one of her best friends, and one other kid that they had played with. And we grabbed like five other kids. We entered this tournament. We almost won it. So we decided to start a club. Mm-hmm. And one of the things you learn pretty quickly with youth soccer is you can't just start a club and expect to compete. You, right. you know, there's this whole chain of command. And I would compare it to like, think of youth soccer, especially in Southern California. It's like coffee <laughs> where you can open your neighborhood coffee shop and you could, if it's, if the coffee's awesome, you could do pretty well. But you're screwed if you're going to try to compete with Starbucks and Pete's and Coffee Bean and all these other places. You, just, you have no chance. Right. And eventually what you have to realize is that you have to kind of align with one of the bigger clubs. So we're in a situation where we had this awesome coach. He wanted to work with our kids and potentially have more teams than just the one team. But we also mm-hmm. had to align with a club. And at the time in LA where we were in the, in, you know, basically – Hollywood, LA, that kind of area, there really mm-hmm. wasn't the club to join. All the clubs were basically in the Manhattan Beach side or in the Palisades, or then you go further and you go to like Orange County. They're all spread around. And um, and it's crazy what a business this is for when you get to like the bigger clubs. Like mm-hmm. you're talking about like beach or the, out here, it's like beach, the uh, SoCal Blues. And they, these things, like they make money, they get the best kids, they have uh, clubs at every level. They have tiers of clubs. So you have like an A team, a B team, a C team. And it's like Starbucks. Wow. And what happens is they get the best possible kids. They they try to get as many kids as possible. So sometimes the teams are almost too stacked. Mm. And you have like, you know, these 18 kid teams. And, you know, you have three strikers when you only need one. And the your third string striker is better than... <laughs> Most of the strikers, I'm just been in the other team. And all of them are just trying to win tournaments. And they're not playing possession as much. They're not like teaching the one-on-one and all that stuff. And they're basically built to kind of win these tournaments and put the best athletes at the top and all that stuff. Okay. So we, we kind of got thrown into this. and it was, So we had that where we're like, wow, how do we compete with clubs like that? They're just getting – they have better, better everything. Plus they're getting like they, – they're cherry-picking the best kids. And then on top of that, we don't have the resources. Mm-hmm. So we started out, I won't name the teams, but we started out on one club. 
didn't go great. We were practicing on this field that was like right next to the highway where mm-hmm. there was, you know, a lot of a lot of homeless people in the, on the street we were in, and it just like wasn't safe. Mm-hmm. Um, and the field was terrible. The turf was terrible. That was where we practiced first year. We decided to switch clubs. We went to a different club. And we ended up on this club that we thought, you know, we had a better chance to succeed in. And it was an almost entirely boys club. We were one of the only girls teams. And within the span of, I would say, I don't know, 18 months, two years, we we practiced. There was one situation where we were supposed to get the whole field, but the boys team took two-thirds of the field, and we had to practice on this small one-third of the field. We practiced on a field that didn't have lights, which was fine until it got to October, and then it starts getting to like, Right. You know, seven o'clock and it's dark. Our practice is from six to eight. And by seven thirty, it's just dark and the kids are in the dark practicing. Um, we had to bring generators to do that. So um the turf was terrible. Then we went moved to this other field that didn't have goals. <laughs> and it was at this high school and it was this beaten up turf that they didn't really use anymore for sports. Um, one of our kids fell and hit her head and actually got a concussion just from how hard the turf was. Wow. And we practiced on a thing that had no goals. So we would go into these games. We couldn't even practice shooting during the practices because we had no goals. And the kids would go into the games and we would like miss open shots and stuff. <laughs> what was really crazy was the club that we were on had gotten some grant. And I don't want to give away too many details, but it was it was basically based on the fact that they had, they had girls in the club and it was kind of a girl friendly place that gave the money. Okay. And then they just put that money back into the club and spread it out amongst all the teams. So we were really furious. Like we, we were like, we just couldn't believe it. We couldn't believe like, especially in this decade where everything is supposed to be equal and where there's such a, an emphasis on girls sports and everything. And just like, you know, get, making sure everybody is treated equally, all that stuff that we were like, wow, this is like 1975. Right. So right. we decided to form our own club. And um, we were fortunate enough, we had some parents that had different skill sets and we had a coach who was awesome and who had come from a family, his family, the Tadellas, had uh, there in Indiana and they had formed a club there. So he knew some of the basics on how to do it. And I remember Josh Tudela played. Josh Tudela played in MLS, as I recall, right? Yeah, that was him. And and Jacob, I think, also would have played. He blew out his knee actually. And okay. I think I think he might have had a cup of coffee, but uh, they're all really talented. So we formed the club. Had a first year where we're just trying to basically survive, and yeah. we did. And um, you know, to Jacob's credit, like it certainly it's really hard to do it that first year, but. Now we have 130 kids. Um, my daughter's team went undefeated in the Gold Coast League, and uh, and the team's good. Like we're we're one of like the top 15 teams in the 05 group in Southern California. Um, and there's still a lot of obstacles. And we're mm-hmm. and one of the things that um, that I've been shocked by, and this is I think speaks to part of the problem which is where soccer is in this country you have these two different things at some point my daughter's in the eighth grade now she's 13 mm-hmm. at right around 13 is when they have the development academies and they have mm-hmm. the ecnl which you know what those two are right those are like 
So the, the U.S. Goals. Development Academy is run by U.S. Soccer, and it has affiliated clubs around the country that have the gold seal of U.S. Soccer. Uh, ECNL, you're going to have to help me out. I've heard about it, but how's that different? Yeah, so that's it's basically you want your club to be in one of those two leagues because you're playing quote unquote better competition. Now, if you actually look at some of the clubs that are in these leagues, like our team would kill them, Mm -hmm. but, um, it's, it's more like you need the funding, you need the connections, you need coaches with certain level of licenses, all that stuff. And you want to get to one of those two things. And the problem for a team like us that, you know, first of all, you need like you need clubs in every year to be eligible to be like if you want to be DA or you want to be ECNL, you need clubs from the age ranges would be from like 2002 all the way to 2012. So you, it's like basically rewarding the Starbucks mentality of okay. building a club that has 12 age groups and 30 teams and is kind of a war machine. And the problem for somebody like us when you hit a certain point is when you have these tournaments on Thanksgiving or Christmas or Memorial Day or whatever, some of the times the DA teams and the ECNL teams just want to be in tournaments or in brackets that they're, it's, they're only going against you know their peers, basically. Right. And everybody else gets shut out. And at some point, the smaller teams have to decide, do we want to join one of these bigger clubs? Mm-hmm. Do we care about the DA? Or can we do enough on our own to make where it doesn't matter. The problem is if you're not playing the other best kids all the time, at some point there's going to be some atrophy, right? Right. And it, it's all of it is just really discouraging. Like it's discouraging who, who gets the DA status, who gets the UCNL status. It's discouraging the type of soccer you have to play to win the tournaments. The, the stuff that we do, uh, our coach is fanatical about like possession, one on one, attacking people, trying to keep the ball, not doing the kickball stuff. Um, we'll be in these tournaments, and these teams will get a one nothing lead, and they'll just start subbing the last twenty five minutes of the game <laughs> to try to just kill the clock. And it's like uh, your kids; these are twelve year olds. What are you, what are you doing? Is the whole point to play soccer? So you see all of this stuff, and I swear it's like this is why we're in the situation we're in. You know, especially like. Southern California has, I would say, 50% of the best soccer in the country. You know, like if you just look at how, yeah, because it's for 12 months a year, we get to practice here. We have more fields, we have better competition. And when we're in tournaments against teams from other states, like, you know, if you take like the second best team in some random state and they played the 20th best team in California, the California team would win. And, it just seems like it's crazy. You have this one state that could be this absolute hotbed. And I think there's some other good states like Texas is good and Florida's good, Arizona's good. But you have this one state that's awesome. And yet it has this kind of class mentality of how to approach soccer. Now here's the real problem. All right, where am I going to find a lot of lot of soccer talent, right? Well, it's not just going to be from people like my family. Like my, you know, we. I have a good financial situation. There's a lot of people out there that don't have the money to be on these clubs and right. don't have the money to spend thirty five hundred dollars plus a hundred dollars for every time you're in a tournament and uniforms and all of these different fees. There's a real price you're paying to play elite soccer, mm-hmm. and that's another thing they haven't figured out. And that I'm sure there's talent out there. Um, that 
really never got a chance because they live in some, you know, part of Los Angeles where they just weren't found by the right coach or they don't have the money to drive to practice every day and all that stuff. Our team, one of the things that I think makes our team special and our club special is our coach is really committed to um, to having kids that don't come from the same backgrounds mm-hmm. as the other kids. And we have like 33% of our kids are scholarship kids. Okay. And, um, and we have some of the kids on my daughter's team are fantastic and on a different club might not have been able to, you know, af- afford doing it. What's, um, what's so crazy about it to me is that soccer in theory, you shouldn't have to pay a lot to play the sport. It's like the simplest sport in the world. And yet you look at the industry of youth sports in America, and I think it's like a $13 billion industry, not just soccer, but every sport around the U.S. And yet soccer costs a ton if you want to play at any level in youth soccer. It costs a ton. You you wouldn't think there's equipment stuff, but there actually is. Like, you know, my daughter's five, seven and a half now. She's grown... I think she grew a foot over the last 18 months. I don't wow. even know. But we went, we ripped through all these shoes, right? She mm-hmm. had shoes two months later, they don't fit. There's really not a great program. Like my daughter would wear soccer cleats for two months and they didn't fit anymore. Well, what happens? Why isn't there a program? Why can't those shoes go to, um, to kids who are, it's less likely for them to be afford, able to afford nice shoes. What yeah. happens to all the soccer balls? Um, there's just not a lot of thought put into anything. And I think that's been the most shocking thing to me is you have this scramble, at least in Southern California, to find field space. I mean, we finally were lucky enough to find a field at a high school and we kind of juggle between these two high schools that were in in LA. But for the most part, there's so many obstacles against playing soccer. And as you said, it seems like it's pretty simple, right? Should you need be. a ball, you need some kids, you need some goals. Shouldn't be hard. Um, and it is. And I, I think I was really interested. I got involved, obviously, in the election. I had Kathy Carter on because I'd known her for a while, hoping mm-hmm. that she would get the U.S. soccer presidency. She didn't. Um, and the guy who took over, he claims that he cares about youth soccer. But how long has he had that gig now? It's, he's had it for a few months. I haven't heard anything that's going on from his end on what, on what his plans are and things like that. He did announce a task force, a youth soccer task force. He announced that's basically what they've done to this point. Yeah. Who's on it. Why don't you have some people who have platforms who actually are a parent who are a parent who've been through the system for the last eight years. Like nobody's emailed me. Well, here's Um, here's a question for you. What would you, to make this situation better based on all the time that you've put in now, what would you like to see? I I think that they should do a much better job of targeting who the good coaches are. Mm. Because we know, like we we've played certain teams where we're like, wow, that coach is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um we've also played teams where you find out after you've lost a game one nothing and your your girls, some of whom are like sixty pounds, got the crap kicked out of them, you find out that the coach had to leave because he was using overage girls. And you go, Oh, that makes sense because my daughter was sore for a week after that game. Um in general, there's just not a lot of monitoring of anything. Okay. And 
what I would love to see them do instead of like these stupid licenses that you have to get. And it's like, Oh, now I'm a class C coach and all this, like come to the games. Watch, watch how the teams play, reward the teams that are playing the style of soccer that you want the whole country to play. Mm -hmm. You know, like if you want to play kickball in the, in, in the world cup and, you know, into even in the MLS, if you just want to have, you know, let's try to win one nothing. Let's let's keep all of our defenders back. Let's put the one forward at the top and we'll just keep kicking long balls. And one time it's gonna ricochet the white way and we make it a goal. Like if we wanna play that way, great. Don't change anything. But we're not in the World Cup. You know? And I even think like with uh with where the women's were, I'm I'm a little more skeptical. Everybody seems to think we're the favorite or one of the favorites, but I I wanna see it. I, I think I think we're going to look back at the teams we had um, and somebody like Abby, who I think is one of the greatest athletes we've ever produced. Um, and some of the other women we had on those teams, like Carly Loy, Meg Rapino, like that, we might've just really lucked out with some of the talent we had. And if the talent drops just a little bit, how uh, is our soccer actually going to be good enough to win without like the talent advantage that we had? I don't know. I'm just telling you what I see with the youth soccer. Mm. Um, you don't see a lot of creativity and you, and you see the same kind of style over and over again that you and I hate. Yeah. And, and I think you mentioned Megan Rapino. She's a player who's going to be involved in Women's World Cup next summer, but probably going to be her last one. And she's a really skillful player, but she stands out for that in the United States. You know, and, and the yeah. U.S. women have had so much success and have deserved what they've won. But even going back to the 90s, you know, they've been mostly about athleticism. And now you're seeing other countries get into women's soccer and start developing players. I saw Spain win its first under-17 Women's World Cup last week. Well, they beat Mexico in the final, and the U.S. was nowhere near the final in that tournament. Yeah. And so... Not good. That, yeah, not good. Um do you think your involvement in youth soccer has increased your interest in prof the professional game or is it two different things? Oh, 100% because if you watch enough soccer, especially if it's done pretty skillfully, like the the team that you're on, like the coaching and the fundamentals and the stuff they're trying to do, it's 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 a lot like basketball. You start seeing the angles and the stuff, the formations and the strategy, the stuff, everything just kind of makes sense. And the thing over and over again that stands out are the teams that can hold the ball and the teams that have players that can attack 1v1, the players that can do give and goes, the ones that they can run the triangles correctly and, and kind of use each other. Mm -hmm. And I think especially what we've seen with the men's, and I think Josie was a great example of this. Josie was kind. Of, Josie came up, and my, I include myself. We're all excited, right? This yeah. is like, oh, this is the striker we've always wanted. These phenomenal athlete, you know, you get him the ball in the box, he'll box somebody out, and he'll make a play in it. And the reality is, you know, the kind of soccer that wins is is the people where where it's like five passes connecting on one play, and um, it really works a lot more like basketball. That's why I it's so interesting that Steve Nash loves both sports because right. everything he did in basketball is so perfect for soccer. Yeah. You know, and um I don't understand you know, here's another thing. 
in the in the if you play a development academy team, they say you can't play for your high school. Right. Right. So now you now you're basically turning your kids into professional athletes when they're 15. <laughs> There's no way in hell I wouldn't want my daughter to play. I want her to play in high school next year as a ninth grader. I want her to play for the team. Right. What is better than playing for your high school team? That's the single most important thing you could do as an athlete until you're at college. I've heard a lot um, of complaints about that from pe- people around the country, parents who were really disappointed when U.S. soccer made that a requirement. It's insane. The ECNL teams, I think you're allowed, but... Um, for us, uh, that would be a deal breaker for me at that point. Like if our club became a club where you couldn't play high school soccer, I'm out. I want my daughter, I want that to be part of her experience if she plays soccer. But it goes back to like, this is turned into like just a, a machine and a business. And a lot of the, you know, the, I think the DA system has, is actually, there's a lot of buzz, especially in California that, um, it has not been successful and a lot of people are unhappy with how it's going. And it seems like the ECNL system is a little bit better. So, so for instance, I have a friend who's on the breakers who joined the ECNL this year mm. or his daughter's on the breaker. I'm sorry. And you know, they'll have a game in like Arizona. Mm-hmm. Like, where were you this weekend? Oh, we we're in Phoenix. We had a game. I'm like, that's crazy. Your daughter's 14. <laughs> Wait, you're flying to Arizona for like a non-tournament, just a normal game. It's like, it's great. It's, it's the trip's so much fun. But how many kids can afford to fly to Arizona for games? And yeah. that that's a part. If we have all these resources from U.S. soccer, I would love for them to figure out just how all of this makes more sense. Mm-hmm. And here's another thing that drives me crazy. So my daughter was in a Thanksgiving tournament this weekend. She wasn't, her team wasn't able to play in the top group because the top group was all DA and ECNL teams, half Mm. of whom I think we could have easily beaten. I think we could have hung with any team in there. Um, So we had to play in the lower thing. They'll do these tournaments. It's Friday, Saturday, Sunday after Thanksgiving. Every team is guaranteed one game a day. Okay. And they do this because they want people to come in. They want them to uh, pay for hotels for the whole weekend, not leave early and skip out on the hotel or whatever. And meanwhile, it's like, this is our whole weekend. We're playing one game a day. How does that make sense? Like, (laughs) are we we doing this or are we not doing it? Um, You know, you almost need like a czar for uh, youth soccer. But so what's the name of the new guy that took over? Carlos Cordero. Carlos Cordero. Listen, Carlos, if you're listening, um, this sucks. What's going on right now? It's really bad. And we're in a situation now with this with this club that we built. We have 130 girls. One third of them are scholarship. We're playing the style that uh, that everyone wants America to play, but we don't. And we're on the outside because we're not one of the Starbucks clubs. And I would love I would love to know what the solution is for that. You are not allowing, your system is not allowing right now, the system that we've created for youth soccer does not allow for outliers. You have to be in one of the big clubs or you have to be DA, or you have to be ECNL it's at a certain point to make a real splash and to make a real impact. It doesn't account for somebody like my daughter's coach who's great. And I'm not just saying that because it's, co- it's her coach. Like He really is great. And I'm sure there's a lot more of him out there. And it's like, at some point, those people have to decide, do I just want to fold into one of the Starbucks clubs 
or do I want to forge my own way with my own style? Because the other problem is when you go to those clubs, they want everybody to kind of play similar styles and do things the same way. And, mm -hmm. you know, it becomes like Cobra Kai. And, uh, and I don't know. I, I feel like we have to allow for more creativity. We have to look out for the kids who can't afford to be in these clubs um, and figure out different solutions for that. And then honestly, like California, it should start in California because this is where 50% of the talent we're going to find anyway is. Right. We shouldn't we shouldn't prohibit kids from playing for their own high school teams. And we should probably figure out a system where where you know, we, we it, it, this is more of a mentality than anything, but if you play club soccer, most kids don't want to play other sports. Okay. It's kind of all-encompassing cuz you have all these other you know, th you have homework and all that. You just don't have time for other things. I never, I made, I made my daughter, uh, I really didn't want, I wanted her to play basketball for her school team this year. I didn't want her to just play soccer. She played volleyball in the fall for her school team. And I just think it's crazy that she had this one year, I think it was like uh, sixth grade where she was like, I just want to play soccer. That's it. It's like, all right, great. Just play basketball for school and soccer. And that's it. And, I don't think that's healthy. And if you talk to Abby Wambach, I've talked to them, Abby Wambach, right. Alex Morgan, Hope Solo, any of them, none of them just played soccer, you know, when they were 13, they played everything and they kind of gradually settled on soccer. And the reality is they became great soccer players because they were phenomenal athletes. And the odds right. of becoming somebody who's a World Cup player are basically zero, you know? I think that's another problem with this whole culture is everybody thinks their kid's going to be on a World Cup team. <laughs> And it's like, guess what? There's 25 players in that team and the age ranges of those players are like from age 19 to 35. So you're you're talking one or two people a year tops right. that are on this team per age group. Your kid's not playing for the World Cup. It's not happening. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, Claudio Reyna, who's you know, one of the best U.S. men's players of all time, was telling me last year, he thinks... Like he says he runs into all these youth coaches around the country who like think they're Pep Guardiola, as he put it, <laughs> too. So it's not right. just like, it's not just the players, it's the coaches, it's the whole system. And yeah, it's uh, it's a real issue, you know? I mean, you talk- The goal about is like, it, the goal is like, use soccer to try to get into college. Yeah. And even better, if you're good enough, like use, so use soccer to get a college scholarship. If you do that, that's a win. And I totally get that. And I think we see it with some of the kids on our team. We have kids that have a chance to use soccer to get into college. And it's fucking awesome. Like, I'm so happy they have the chance. But at some point, it can't be your whole life either. And I think finding that balance, and this goes back to the U.S. soccer thing, like how do you make things easier? How do you make the system better? So on the weekends, people aren't freaking flying to Arizona and spending <laughs> – they're weekend at a tournament where the kid only plays three games when conceivably you could play five and you feel like your kid should be on this team that has 19 kids on it because it's the best team and it's your best chance to have, you know, college coaches potentially see your team. And meanwhile, you're on a 19 player team and they can only play 11. Like all this stuff has to be figured out. Um, but fundamentally over everything else, um, the uh, the boys girls thing is is the thing that's the most disgusting to me, and the fact that it, it's just a fact the boys teams get treated differently and they get better at everything. Huh. And um, at this day in this day and age, and heading into two thousand nineteen, 
that is really flat out insane to me. Yeah, that's surprising to me. I mean, you know far more about youth soccer from your experience than I do. I don't cover uh, youth soccer to any serious extent, but have been trying to listen, especially during the U.S. soccer election last year, to what people were saying about the issues, like you're saying, in, in the youth soccer realm. Before we let you go here, I did want to ask you a few other questions because about soccer because you're an LAFC yeah. Attender of game, season ticket holder. What's what's the story there? No, I'm an OG season ticket holder. Nephew Kyle's been to, I think, as many games as I have because they 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 we there's a nice little setup there. It's very fun. Nice. I was wildly impressed by um, nephew Kyle's producing the podcast for my side. By the way, um, I was really impressed by the thought and creativity they put in the stadium. Okay, and how they studied all the different stadiums. And pick things they liked and just built an awesome version that had all of the different pieces that they liked from different stadiums. They were able to build a tradition in the span of like three weeks. There's <laughs> the eagle at the beginning and they have the whole side behind one of the goals. Everyone's standing and doing chants the whole game. Mm -hmm. And people are holding scarves up. And the logos, and it kind of felt like the team had been around for 28 years. And meanwhile, they'd been around for, you know, two weeks. Everything they did was really smart. The size of the stadium was perfect. Pretty easy to get in, in and out. Um, and really cool. And unfortunately, the problem with the MLS is that the soccer is not as good as the experience. I think people love going to soccer games and being fans and emulating what they see in Europe and all these different places. Mm -hmm. And the soccer is just not good enough yet. It's fine. It's probably somewhere between double and triple A baseball, I would say. But the fans are like major league. You know, the, the <laughs> fans and the experience and the stadiums. And you have all these rich owners now that are, you know, are frustrated because they can't get into the NBA or NFL. So this is where they've taken their sports ownership <laughs> juices, basically. But that you actually watch the games and it's like, I went to this LAFC New England Revolution game mm. in like July or something. It was honestly one of the worst sporting events I've ever <laughs> been to. It, it was so awful. The Revolution had, I think, 20 fouls. Like they, they were just like being thugs. They just weren't that talented. And uh, it was just awful. And it was, I was like, oh man, this is not a fun way to spend a Saturday. Um, but then you go to other games and the soccer is close enough that it's fine. Every team has a couple really good players mm. that you can kind of latch onto. My question is, you have all these rich people. You have the rights for everything are through the roof right now for TV mm. and streaming and all this stuff. Like everybody just wants to own anything with sports. It's just so much money. Even a sport like baseball that nobody watches a baseball game <laughs> from beginning to end anymore. And their rights have gone through the roof. Hockey's expanding. Hockey has 32 teams. They should probably have 22. They don't even care. Right. Um, it's crazy to me that we that rich people just haven't said, let's make the MLS a real thing. Let's like 10 tuple the salary cap. Right. Let's just go for it. Let's what what are our 20 teams at work? All right, we need we need 400 players total. Um, and we need probably 20 marquee players. Let's get into the business. Let's go. Why can we, can we be as good as the Italian, the, the B Italian league in two years? 
I mean, the these guys are of it is MLS so phenomenal. Owners, MLS owners are billionaires. They're not millionaires. I mean, they they've got the money. Yeah, yeah. The upside is so phenomenal. Why wouldn't they do it? I mean, at the very, I'm not the. I, this is not my idea. I know this is out there. I think it's a great idea. You merge with the Mexican league, mm-hmm. and you create two conferences, and then you play the Mexican league in the Super Bowl of whatever you name the league. Even that's a better idea because the Mexican league, I think people seem to think it's like triple A, <laughs> but um, even the combo of that would be better. But I really feel like, look, they can keep doing, they can keep doing this forever or they can actually sink real money into this and see what happens. The way the salary cap is now, they have no chance at ever getting some of the signature guys. And you could even see it at the OFC games when the world cup was happening mm-hmm. Three of the, you know, three, three to five of the best guys on every team are gone because they're playing for the World Cup. Right. And um, I don't know. I, the upside of it with where we are with sports right now seems like, and all the billionaires that are involved, just kind of seems like everybody's going to look at each other at some point and go, fuck it. Let's, let's do it. <laughs> let's open the checkbooks. Why not? Here's a question for you. Uh, why are the Crafts the best owners in the NFL, perhaps, but maybe the worst owners in MLS? Uh, it's too bad. Um, they need to put... It, it's, so, it's so easy and simple. They just need to build like a 22,000-seat soccer stadium in Boston. somewhere in Boston that everyone can get to by an Uber. Yeah. And put it in Cambridge put it in the seaport, wherever the hell you're going to put it, put it next to Suffolk Downs, whatever. Um, It just needs to be 22,000 people and they'll get a lot of college kids. You can't go to those games in Gillette. It's the same problem the WNBA has. The WNBA is insists on putting their games in these NBA arenas. And then there's 2000 people there and it's like the most depressing place in the world. And you look at the revs, and they're in these six. They're in this seventy thousand seat uh, football stadium. It's ludicrous. There's no energy at all. It's the worst. It's really depressing. The LAFC is like twenty eight thousand. So, um, I would say either sell or um, try to build that. That hey, honestly, twenty two thousand is probably big enough they I keep saying say 25 yeah they keep saying that they're gonna do a stadium in boston for soccer like you're talking about but we've been waiting for many many years now i'm gonna get an angry call from jonathan Kraft because of this by the way um because he's i'm happy guy. to say this to his face i like jonathan Kraft. <laughs> or go go in with mit and just say we'll 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 uh redo that stadium in there and we'll just make that the soccer stadium and you can use it for whatever else you want yeah. Cause there is land like there's land in Cambridge and all these other places. But what people don't want to do is drive to Foxborough to go sit in the stadium. That's 90% empty. Like it's not fun. Yeah. Um, and the, and if you look at what's worked in soccer, the ones that have worked are the smaller stadiums where there's real energy. That's what works. Right. I wanted to wrap up by asking you about, you did what is maybe the bucket list thing for an American soccer fan. I think it was back in 2009 that you went yeah, to Mexico the Azteca City. in Mexico City for a Mexico-USA World Cup qualifier. And I yeah. just was curious to know what your experience was like. I loved it. I couldn't wait to write about it. That was back when my fingers still worked. Um, <laughs> it was one of a kind. It was the craziest stadium I've ever been into. It felt like the whole thing was going to tip over. 
I could not believe the corner kicks with the Mexican fans like throwing bags of piss and and then when we got out of there, I was really like worried we were going to get out of there. It was it had an energy unlike anything I've ever felt in sports, and it really was life and death for everybody there. And um, it was one of the great sports experiences of my life. And you know, at some point when when um, I'm I'm maybe when um, either my kids are in college or if my son gets into it or whatever, I would love to hit a couple of these other stadiums because I think there's there's uh, some good ones out there. We saw, I took my daughter, I was there for the Olympics in 2012 and we went to Wembley for the women's gold mm-hmm. medal match. Nice. Which was, uh, I think, US Japan. Yeah, Carly and that, Lloyd. Yeah, that was spectacular because um, that stadium's just so big. It felt like they were playing it you know, you compare it to like the LFC stadium where, you know, everything hugs the field mm-hmm. and that stadium was the opposite. It felt like the field was like five miles long. <laughs> you don't understand how everybody could run around, but it's really, you know, all soccer fields are the same, but in that stadium, it's like an optical illusion. It just felt like it was the biggest stadium on the planet. I can't wait when we have the 2028 Olympics here. And this is, I would love to, I hope we figure out us soccer by then. Um, but when we have the the Ram Stadium, mm-hmm. and then we have the stadium in Carson, and we have the stadium, uh, the LAFC Stadium, but we also have the Coliseum, and we have the Rose Bowl. Like we, LA is more equipped for a World Cup just to have in LA than I think any city ever, right? Yeah, we have, I mean it's it's pretty. We're impressive so ready to roll. Point. It's LA is one of the best soccer cities in the world. I, I honestly believe that, um, and it's obviously hosted to. Uh, or a men's World Cup final, uh, two women's World Cup finals, uh, the World Cup on the men's side's coming to the U.S. and Canada and Mexico in 2026, then the Olympics to the uh, to L.A. in 28. So there's a lot to look forward to, soccer-wise. I I didn't like that we were sharing the World Cup. <laughs> we could, honestly we could get it done in L.A. We don't need we don't need the other countries. We have seven stadiums here. It's it's done. We could play the Dodger Stadium. <laughs> We have we have it all over the place over here. We have a, an embarrassment of stadiums, so that's why like the Olympics here is is actually. I don't think anyone should have the Olympics anymore. But if anyone was ever going to have the Olympics, and it actually makes sense, and you have a chance to make money from it, it's L.A. because we have <laughs> stadiums coming out of our wazoo's. <laughs> Well, thank you, Bill Simmons, for taking so much time to to come on the show and talk a little soccer. Uh, I always get excited when you do soccer-related things, and, and we'll always look forward to more in the future if you do. I had one more thing for you before I go. Yeah. Um, to the parents out there, pick pick a side in the games, <laughs> and then, then I'll get your chairs and stuff, and you go on that one side. You don't get to do the thing where you're kind of on both sides because that's how fights happen at games. Pick a side. Go on one side or go on the other side. There needs to be a little line because I've been to too many games where somebody's yelling at the ref and the parent from the other team gets mad. Just pick one side or the other. This is not hard. It's a soccer field. There's a line in the middle. It's midfield. That's where the game starts. You see the ball's going to be there at the beginning of the game. And you and the other parents, all you have to do is say, should we be on the right side or the left side? Put the chairs down. It's that easy. It really is. It's so easy to do. So that would be my recommendation for everybody out there. Bill Simmons, thanks for coming on the show. 
Thanks for listening to the Planet Football Podcast. I'd like to thank Bill Simmons as well as everyone at Cadence 13 and Sports Illustrated who supports this podcast. Just a quick reminder, it's a huge help if you subscribe to, rate, and review the podcast. It helps people find us. And check out the 30-Minute Planet Football video show hosted by me and Luis Miguel Echegaray on SITV. That's available on SI.TV, Amazon Channels, and Fubo TV. See you next time. Do you know about the Locked On Podcast Network, the number one daily sports podcast network? Locked On has a daily podcast on every NBA and NFL team, plus a growing lineup of college and MLB teams. You get a daily bite-sized podcast giving you the latest on your team from the local experts. Lakers fans, search Locked On Lakers. Cowboys fans, search Locked On Cowboys. Just search Locked On, your favorite team, on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, or tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On, your favorite team. Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.